0: Hello, and welcome to HR Unplugged. In today's episode, Anita Grantham, Bamboo HR Head of HR, is joined by Clay Binford, Chief of People and Development at Nomad Global. They'll break down how you can easily measure your onboarding success and start improving your process using these five simple metrics. Job satisfaction for new hires, time to productivity, employee satisfaction, voluntary and involuntary turnover, and performance management for managers. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. I want to welcome everyone to episode 17. Uh, Super grateful that you're all here. Um, today, we're going to talk about the metrics for onboarding success, and we invite you to visit us at BambooHR.com slash You can view the latest episodes, use your phone to get to the QR code of the platform of your choice, and be sure to subscribe to our series. Um, links to our podcasting platforms can also be available straight from our webpage at BambooHR.com slash HR Unplugged. Um, We are available in all the formats, as you see on here, but more importantly, I want to get right to our really special guest, also a customer of Bamboo HR. I'm really excited for everybody to get to know Clay Binford, Chief People Officer and Development at Nomad Global Communication Solutions, or Nomad GCS for short. (laughs) Clay, welcome.
1: Thank you. I'm happy to be here.
0: Tell us a little bit. I'm excited to dig in on onboarding. I know you're you're passionate about the five simple metrics for onboarding success, but I loved everybody just to get to know who you are. I've really enjoyed the time we spent together prepping for this podcast. Share a little bit about you and Nomad GCS
1: Sure. We are a company that is a it's a manufacturing company. We're a high-tech manufacturing company that, Custom builds mobile command and communication vehicles for customers all over the world, uh, primarily here from a domestic standpoint. And we provide to local, state, federal, as well as DOD and private entities. Um, And so we're kind of an interesting blend in the sense that we do have the manufacturing component, which is our, our largest component. But we're also a communications company and a technology company. And so there's all of those things kind of built in that um, end up creating kind of an interesting mix for just the way in which we do business.
0: You know, what I think our listeners will really find valuable, Clay, about you and your experience is that you have a high contingent of salaried workers and a high contingent of hourly workers. And so I'm excited to weave that in because most of the time, our listeners are really split about 50-50 as to the types of team members they have working in their organizations. So I think, um, you know, anything that you would say about that to our listeners and maybe your thoughts there and how you've kind of built your organization...
1: Yeah, no, I think it's a it's a great point that sometimes people just assume that positions are are very similar across the board. Um, but in order for an organization to truly thrive and, and become a, a much larger organization, I feel like you do have to have multiple disciplines across a lot of different job categories. And that's exactly where we fall. We we have a little bit over 50 percent of our, our workforce is. In more of a direct labor capacity actually hands-on building the the vehicles and the solutions that we're providing and then about half is more of an indirect uh position and so there's there's different ways in which you approach both of those from a recruiting standpoint from an onboarding standpoint we don't look at it differently as far as the individual at the company, so all individuals have the same uh, capabilities of rising within the organization, um, benefits, everything that exists there, Um, because we do truly consider ourselves to be one team without, say, just a a link within finance or a link within facilities or a link within our, our sales or our electrical or assembly. Any one of those links fails, and we fail as a team, Um, and so it is something that's important for us to be able to have a pulse on all the different areas within the company, and to be quite honest, for us, it's trying to find ways from a cultural standpoint to engage each of those different departments with each other. So whenever we do any of our our company parties or our get-togethers, or even we have nomad community groups that we've set up through bamboo and the intention really is to try to create those additional connections within the organization between the different departments that wouldn't just naturally happen in in say your your normal workday um and as much as we can do that that's something that we we work really hard at here
0: and it 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 proves true. You're doing a great job with Nomad. You're, you know, the longevity of your people is really strong. The results of your business is really strong. And when thinking about onboarding our topic here for today, do you onboard your direct and indirect with the same caring, and, care, and love um, together, no matter which side that you're working on?
1: We do. And thankfully, using the bamboo system uh, for that initial onboarding, it's very similar, or it's exactly the same for every single person regardless. And we now have facilities in Huntsville, Alabama, and another facility here in Montana. And uh, because of that, we don't necessarily have the hands-on, I don't, as, as the, the chief of people. I'm not on-site in Alabama to be able to go through that specific onboarding, But we have the familiarity through the paperwork and getting that done. And then what we do is we bring everyone through our initial couple days of onboarding that uh, when they come on, they're going through their safety and uh, just general facilities and the mission and what we do as a company and how we do it. And so we we very much, that would be, I would say, our orientation. So we're very much orienting everyone exactly the same. And then the onboarding portion looks a little bit different depending on the position that they fill. Um, obviously, from an engineering position, you're going to be onboarding in a slightly different fashion than, say, one of our facilities or someone that's working in the electrical department. But there's a lot of similarities in being able to have a, a single system or a single portal to be able to do all that has been extremely helpful for us.
0: That's great. So what I hear you saying, I think two really powerful takeaways from this part is that everybody has the same consistent onboarding Experience, So they understand culturally what you're there to do. They understand that they have the same opportunity to learn and progress at the organization. And then you're looking at the specific roles and maybe taking a customized onboarding approach, depending on the different roles that they're going into to help set them up for success.
1: Correct. Correct. And, and really, we're looking at this. As our onboarding is, it's a long term investment. Um, I think lots of people talk about how long it takes, um, to actually get to productivity. And for us, that's really a six to nine month process. If we're bringing somebody in who has very little to no experience, um, building mobile command centers, which most of us don't. Um, we we're we're training individuals that maybe have some construction background or maybe some engineering background, but it's going to be tailored to exactly what we're doing. And because of the custom nature of the work that we do and the one-off uh, work that we do, someone may be working on a, a particular process or a particular piece of equipment that they may not necessarily do again for another three or four months. And so if you can imagine, That just takes time uh, to be able to learn the process and be able to feel truly productive uh, in the work that you're able to do
0: right? And we're going to talk about time to value. So this is just a takeaway. I'd be curious in the chat, how many of you categorize time to value. So what I hear you saying, Clay, is from the time that I'm hired to the time I'm really producing in the job for you at Nomad, it's about six to nine months. So I think that's one actionable takeaway that I'd love everybody here to get to is do you know for each role, how quickly you get to start to get to value on that new hire? Because I think one interesting statistic here is, that only one third of new hires feel ready for their new roles after onboarding. And I mm. so, you know, I think that's really a bummer because, like you, Clay, I feel like we all spend a lot of time on onboarding, but is it really producing the result that we want it to see? And the statistics would say no in most organizations.
1: Right. Well, for us, the Something that we identified very early on was the training and trying to create a training system that has a large enough umbrella that we can train on certain aspects of the business without it being very, very specific. The manufacturing that we do is not necessarily station-driven, so we can't bring someone in, teach them some more of a repetitive type of uh job and then turn them loose within you know a few days or a few weeks or something like that. As mentioned, we are doing so many things that are custom. And so it's trying to create that training program around how this is similar within this vehicle, which is similar within this vehicle. So let's boil it to a similarity and then we can do that uh, on the job training as need be
0: yeah, this is a question in the chat, like how much do you consider your training part of your onboarding? And what I hear you say is like, it's twofold. It's one kind of doing an intro to understand because not everybody's building these mobile command Mm -hmm. units. So you're looking at adjacent skill sets, you've been in construction, maybe you've been in IT configuration, things like that, you're bringing all these capabilities to say let's build a mobile command center, and you're telling them how they can learn how to do that the nomad way, and then you continue to do ongoing training as they continue to grow in their role.
1: Right, very much so. and it's and it's trying to identify those individuals' skill sets, both their strengths and their weaknesses, and teaming them appropriately within the right group. we We have multiple teams that we work within, and trying to find the right fit for them is key. Um, and also being able to find, maybe, like you were saying, some, some skills that are adjacent to what we're doing, but may have nothing to do. We we ended up hiring a, a lady who had worked at Joanne's Fabrics um, and also in her spare time built chicken coops, which that doesn't necessarily scream, oh, you'd be perfect for uh, a production assembly uh, person here. However, because of her experience at Joanne's Fabrics, she was very detail-oriented, understood how to read essentially blueprints, um, and was able to follow those, those guidelines and those directions, but then also had, uh, the, the skills from a direct labor standpoint to be able to put something together based on her experience, just kind of doing the hobby building chicken coops. And, and it's been a, a fantastic fit. So it's kind of looking at some of those things and then how do we supplement some of those skills? Um, and so it's, even though there may be a general training that would be more standardized, it's also then looking at how do you adapt and and change those, those training protocols, depending on the skill set that they're bringing.
0: Yeah, so this is what I hear you saying here is that it's not so much about a direct hit on experience. You're looking at capabilities. Can you... Um, look at a lot of different things and coordinate them together into one. Can you project manage? Can you read blueprints? Do you know how to put together a plan and execute on it? All of those things translate into the jobs that they do at Nomad. So the question here in the chat from Anna is that the person generally doesn't need to be experienced in what Nomad is doing, but you've done the extra step, which is so critical in hiring and onboarding, Are what are the skills and capabilities that translate into success for roles at Nomad?
1: Very much so. And some of those are relatively easy to translate and others, as mentioned, are are not. Yeah. Really for me at, at the recruiting level, which then ties very directly into the onboarding, I'm I'm looking for attitude and aptitude. Those are the first two things that I'm looking for more often than not. And if if they then also couple that with the skills capabilities, then I can probably plug them in at, at a slightly different level. Um, but if you have all the skills in the world, but you don't have the attitude or the aptitude that I'm looking for, then it's probably not going to be a very good fit for, for Nomad.
0: Makes sense. So here's another question. It says, sounds like the system is separate from integrating into the role. How important is a new hire's immediate team leader during the onboarding? So like where in this process, Clay, do you insert the the team, the hiring manager into the process for all of this?
1: Yeah. So our hiring manager is very much right at the front end. We do a, a multiple layer uh, interview process which can slow down our our time for hire but I think what it does is it it allows us to vet in a in a much more uh in a much more full way the individual so we look at it not only at the hiring side but also we have the actual floor supervisors doing a second interview to ensure that what they are telling us does match up with what we're hearing um, so that all parties, very much understand the expectations of of what we're looking to do. So we bring in our our floor supervisors as soon as possible and, and then also introduce them to their floor lead. So they're broken up into smaller groups of maybe five or six individuals per team. And those individuals work with a couple other teams in order to really fill out our entire group in a particular bay. And with, with all of those individuals kind of having a little bit of eyes on and hands on with that, that new recruit, um, or that newly onboarded employee, we can get a pretty quick bead on how they're doing areas that we need to do some different training, maybe move them into a different group. Um, so really trying right out of the gates to get as much information as possible.
0: That's awesome, That's awesome, because I think it's really important, you know, Jerry cites some great research from Gallup here that 70% of the variance in team engagement is determined solely by the manager. So yeah. understanding the significance of that impact on engagement, I'd have to assume that the supervisor is critical to onboarding success. I thought I read somewhere that new hires decide to stay or look in a job after the first six months. Um, have you what are your thoughts there, Clay? this is the, this is a good a good discussion.
1: Yeah, no, I, I would definitely not argue with those statistics. I would, if anything, I would say that it drops down to the first three months. Um, really I think you can engage with someone and determine if they're a good fit or if they feel like they're going to be a good fit, uh, even sooner than that. And we have a, a 90 day probationary period where we do multiple check-ins throughout that period of time, just to see how somebody's doing. So for myself, I, I, intend to check in with everyone at, at two weeks in order to see how things are going. If our explanation of the role met their expectation when they came on, if there were any surprises, whoa, I did not expect I was going to be doing that, or this has been a lot easier or a lot harder, um, trying to take that information and push it back into our hiring process so that we can have those conversations much earlier. And then throughout the process, we, we then have more formalized touch points at the department head level, as well as even the division head level as much as possible. So it's, it's really trying to ensure that they feel plugged in, that they feel like they know where to go if they do have questions so that they can get those answers. Um, and, and also honestly, sometimes it's just not a good fit and you try. Um, but my goal is how can I find the best place for this person? And if that's not here at nomad, There are other options. We can help them find other options as well. So engagement, I think, is is the key to that entire thing.
0: Well, and that that is the summary here for metric number one, survey new hires on job satisfaction. And I think we've um, gotten a lot of great nuggets on the metric specifically, Clay, that you're saying. And the one I really loved is, as a new hire in the first 30, 60, 90, or 120 days is what I'm receiving through this process, what I thought I bought when I signed the line, to be an employee. So I think that's a great metric. And then the other metric I like for the hiring manager is what I enthusiastically rehire this person for this job in 90 days mm-hmm. or months. And then that way you can kind of match both and kind of see how you're really focusing on, you know, engagement and using this metric through that initial period before they start looking for that new job.
1: Right, exactly. And I think the area that sometimes gets lost is the fact that onboarding, I, I don't even necessarily consider onboarding to be complete at six months or nine months or even at three or four years, um, because I think that things change and morph and they evolve within the company as a whole. We we have gone from when the four of us first started the company, um, we've definitely seen the trajectory as we've grown. Um, and now being around 200 employees, it looks different and people's roles look different than they were when they maybe originally started. So we also hold round tables on a regular basis with veteran employees as well as new employees. And those are not held by me. That's done by an individual on my staff that uh, can act more as an advocate for those employees more in a, in a slightly different manner um, than than I could or, and maybe is more approachable for some individuals. So we try to use those round tables with larger groups of people, rather than a one-on-one to be able to just kind of gather a little bit more information on how are they feeling about the the company and the course of direction and the communication that we're having with, with everybody as a whole. Um, because as mentioned, people leave after those based on the managers, uh, within that period of time. But that's also, I think with coworkers as well, if you don't have buy-in and you don't have your coworkers, uh, seeing the direction that the company is going, there's lots of questions. There's lots of rumors and confusion that happens. And so trying to make sure that it's as transparent as possible is is key for not only your veteran employees, but also for the impression that they're giving to those new employees.
0: Yeah, it's so true because I don't know if you've seen this and we've got to move on to our next one productivity, but I'm just so geeked out by this current conversation. You know, as team members mature and become more tenured in your organization, they often become less engaged. Mm And What I hear you saying, Clay, is you've got to continue to keep onboarding. I mean, I even love love for you to share with everybody on the call your own career progression at Nomad, right? You've onboarded four different times over your incredible tenure (laughs) at Nomad, right? So every time you move to a new role, even in the same organization, you still want to spend the investment to onboard that team member.
1: Right. Exactly. No, great, great point. So, uh, when the four of us started the company, we, we did not know what we were doing. Um, it was very much, we were, we had a great idea and we thought that there was a solution and sure enough, we we were able to put together some solutions and meet some of the client needs that we had out there. And so when we initially started, there was really no definition of roles. We basically all wore the same hat. We we not only worked on the vehicles, but we also sold and we also did IT support. And we also uh, kind of managed those team members that we started to bring on. And so as we've grown, we've started to specialize in our roles. And so initially I started within the, the sales side. And so really running that department then taking over more of the the channel sales component and then based on some needs that we had within the company uh stepped into the role as an owner and as the director of hr and so through that process i'm i'm learning new things all the time based on different skill sets and i think it's the same we've we've had a lot of individuals that started here in one particular department and they've moved to another department and so it's not The simple fact that they've been here for seven years doesn't mean they necessarily know exactly what they're going to be doing in this new role. So how do you find ways to onboard those veteran employees as they transition and as they promote through the company?
0: Yeah, it's, it's so critical because every time you can move somebody into a new role, you're going to be more productive. Like I'd much rather hire and grow somebody internally than hire outside all the time. Because look at all the institutional knowledge, Clay, that you have that gives you uptime. And this is our second metric, track to productivity. You get to production much faster because mm-hmm. of your history with Nomad, right? And so- right. Talked about this message, uh, this metric time to productivity TTP measures how long it takes a new employee to be fully integrated with their team and to be fully functional on their job. And to me, that's another great onboarding metric that we should have a target of when you hire somebody. Like, how long do you think it'll get to TTP? And then that should be kind of the way you build their onboarding. What do you think about that?
1: Oh yeah, very much so. I saw within the comments to stay interviews. I think that is key right there because if you can pull someone who is in the organization into a role that maybe you haven't tapped their potential, uh, you're able to able to bring and do that knowledge transfer in a much, much easier fashion than trying to onboard somebody who may be familiar with the role but is not familiar with necessarily how the company goes. And, and there is difficulty or challenges within that in the sense that Uh, You can just transfer bad habits over. And so it's trying to find the ways uh, to coach and train and, and elevate those individuals so that they can, they can expand beyond maybe some of the the habits or the habits of the company as a whole. Um, From a tribal knowledge standpoint, it's great. Um, But sometimes that can just be a band aid rather than finding the root cause solution that you need
0: So one thing that gets people to productivity quickly that has to continue to be integrated into onboarding, and this was an earlier question in the chat, was the integration of strategy, vision, and values. Mm. So how do you think about that with relation to onboarding and time to productivity? How do you integrate it there at Nomad?
1: It's a great question. We... We have five core values um, that we, I, I feel like are a part of our DNA. And it is something that we bring up from the very beginning, from our, our website, from our careers page, all the way through uh, the onboarding side. And and we do talk to that quite a bit. And, and that is a part of even from an employee of the month, we don't have employees of the month. We have core value winners of the month, and mm-hmm. and the idea behind it is that we want people to constantly be thinking about those things because that is truly what drives the organization as a whole. So for us, our our top one is do right. We're going to do right by the by Nomad. We're going to do right by the employee. We're going to do right by the client that we're doing. And sometimes those may be in slight conflict. Um, you know, doing right by that customer may end up meaning that it costs Nomad money. But in the end, I feel like those core values, if followed through, will end up resulting in team members that buy into the overall direction of the company.
0: If there's one thing that I think has to go with the cadence in an organization, it's this, right? Because your strategy is constantly changing. And I think we need an onboarding of the strategy all the time throughout the year, not just at the beginning of the year, or the end of the year. And then the vision and values have to be a constant cadence through the re-onboarding of team members.
1: Exactly. Yeah, very much so. And it's something that we also try to hit on in in a quarterly basis through our all-hands meetings as well, pulling everybody together, being able to cast the vision for the company, because it does change. Um, when when covid hit all of a sudden lots of ideas and strategies and things went out the window and you had to adjust and you had to change and so you had to make sure that information was getting out there but i think through the entire thing you could see how our core values were still weaved through through the mission of the organization and and the direction that we were going regardless of what the the strategic nature of the direction that we were going our core values were still the part that was essentially our guiding light in that regard.
0: That's awesome. So, rounding the corner here on metric three is keeping a pulse on overall morale. The hypothesis here is that we've done onboarding right, it means the morale should stay high through their kind of journey. You know, statistics would tell us that happy employees are 12% more productive and employees who feel strong bonds with their colleagues are more likely to feel happy at work. So what's your thought about overall morale and why it's so critical?
1: Well, I think like anything, if you you enjoy doing what you're doing, you're going to put a little bit more effort into it. You are going to engage and and find ways to have discussions around something rather than kind of numbly going through the day. And and that may be caused by work-related types of ideas uh, or challenges that you may be having, or it could be related to, to personal, outside of work. And so it's keeping a pulse on that from a holistic standpoint we recognize that our employees are not just employees when they're here within these four walls. They are a holistic being. And so it's finding ways in order to have, once again, those those touch points as much as possible, being on the floor being engaged with with different folks popping into meetings just to be able to see how things are going. Um, And then utilizing from just a a data standpoint, we've utilized the the EMPS for the last uh, two and a half years, I guess. And that has created some incredible initiatives that we've been able to draw out of that. So, and I ask people, I say, give us the good, the bad and the ugly. Like, I am not going to know what needs to change unless you let me know. But I'm also not going to know what is working unless you also let me know. And so having both of those data points is key. And as mentioned, we have been able to utilize that and create some some large initiatives and then some smaller, quicker initiatives that we can we can roll out and deploy in a very quick manner. And so we've we've been very thankful for that because of the amount of information we get and in an anonymous fashion. And I think we've been able to prove that you know, the initial thought is like, is it really anonymous? like who can actually see this? Um, but our team has seen the fact that, No, this is very much anonymous, and we are very much using this uh, for for your good, which I believe in the end is for the good of Nomad.
0: Yeah, I love this. So it seems like you're using a combination of anonymous, -anonymous, non-anonymous,
1: in-person
0: and survey to gauge engagement all the way through.
1: Yes, very much so.
0: And have you found, um, do you still like using that combo um, and you're kind of mapping forever? There's kind of a question on timing of surveys, like how you map it together, right? Because we don't want to over-survey. Right, right. Um, either so how do you kind of map all that together and what is the general timeline that you go from okay once you've once you've signed the dotted line i'm coming to nomad do you do it 30 60 90 120 and then you go on a regular cadence through the base on emps and things like that or can you give everybody kind of an idea for how you calendar out these checkpoints
1: so that's an area that I feel like we can do better at. Um, the cadence with the EMPS is nice because we do that twice a year. And then because we have the onboarding points that happen and those may happen at slightly different times. If someone's hired one week, their two week check-in will happen two weeks differently than someone else who's hired. And so there's, there's variability to that. And our roundtables are a little bit more Varied, so I wouldn't necessarily say we have the greatest cadence from a calendar standpoint outside of the the repetition with the EMPS. And then we have been using the the well being surveys as well through Bamboo just for just for some quick touches. Not something that we really uh, push a lot in that regard. Partly because, like you said, you can start to get numb to great another survey, and I'm just going to say the same thing that I said before. So it's trying to find ways to to make sure that it's not so much, but it's enough that you can still touch base on a regular basis.
0: Yeah, I think a key point to it. So we're an inside bamboo, you know, we do the same thing. We do EMPS and we do well-being and our team is really doubling down on extra well-being thoughtfulness this year. Mm. As I look at EMPS as kind of a lagging indicator but I. Yeah. well-being is the information to tell me how i how i move the needle on emps so we're doing a real deep dive into our questions our cadence of it and how we're using it is kind of the why to the outcome of emps so yeah. something to kind of consider but part of it is people aren't going to give that feedback if they don't feel you're actioning on it so i yes. are- that you're doing, Clay. That, like, as you go through it, and we can all improve on our cadence. I'm right there with you as we're redesigning it. What do you do to let the team members know? Hey, we've heard you, and we may do this, and we may not do this, but we're still listening to all of your comments.
1: Yeah. So what we've done is we've taken the EMPS initiatives and we've broken those down, and then when we do our all hands meetings, we publish those and we show not not all the comments, not all everything that's there, but we might lump okay people are talking about wages people are po- talking about culture people are talking about uh, career opportunities and and what does that look like from a training within the the organization visibility wise and so we take those initiatives and and try to to set some timelines around when we're going to be able to accomplish those. So it, it's a, it's an accountability piece for us as an executive management team that if these are things that we feel are important, we need to continue to move that that needle forward. Um, and something that we haven't done, and I, I like that concept of using the well-being to really tailor it around those initiatives and what we're doing. And and the hard part is that sometimes those initiatives are, are very short. Um, so oh, we, we've accomplished that within the last week. And others, it might be from a wage standpoint. It might take nine months for us to get all the wage banding. And that's the exact position that we're in right now is some initiatives that we started almost a year ago will go into fruition um, within the next month. Um, And it just takes time.
0: It does. It does. And so that kind of leads us to our next point is that, you know, 52% of organizations believe strongly that onboarding directly impacts um, employee retention. So I'm curious what you're seeing with onboarding and retention and how you've seen it reduce turnover at Nomad.
1: Right. It's interesting within a geographic area as well. What are your, uh, What are your competitors from a labor standpoint doing and how can you get that leg up? And so for us we've always considered onboarding to be something that was important but we didn't necessarily have the time for. And then as as the labor pool started to tighten a little bit, it became more of like no this is this is a necessity in order to be able to stem some of the the turnover things that are that are happening. And for us as as I talked about a little bit earlier, the desire is to really use that onboarding time at least in the traditional onboarding sense of the kind of six to nine months or even shorter to identify if that person is the right fit. Um, the, the hardest part is when you've you've brought somebody say nine months in and they elect to go elsewhere. Um, because maybe you didn't do a good job of performance managing them a little bit earlier on and offering them some other options. Um, So you've essentially spent a tremendous amount of time investing in this individual, when maybe at three months, you, you knew it probably wasn't going to work out. And so it's, it's trying to find, yeah, trying to find that that balance. And with the full recognition that turnover happens. And in this market, that is a, a difficult thing. So how do we how do we find the ways to to at least soften that as much as possible, I guess? Yeah,
0: it's what you're describing is so important. I mean, it sounds like most of your team member, they're in person, you know, and they're coming to a place where they're interacting, you know, yes. it's a time where we've got this hybrid thing in place, too. And I think you have to add in more of a support system around that new hire, um throughout their first year so they can build connection because um, mm-hmm. we've seen when they know somebody cares about them they feel like they belong and they have somebody committed to their success they're going to stick it out right but sometimes we don't uh, systematize those elements to help them feel like they want to be there so there's nowhere else they'd rather be than right there with you at Nomad
1: correct and we do stand in an advantage in that regard because we are an on-site um company we have <clears throat> Excuse me, we only have a few individuals who are are offsite, kind of in a home office. The vast majority of people actually come to our physical facility and, and get work done. Um, the interesting part for us is we are located in five distinct buildings on our campus. And so there's still a separation uh, from a physical standpoint in that regard. And so then it just takes, it's a conscious effort to make sure that we are crossing those, uh, crossing through into those different buildings and engaging with, engaging with the the client or the employees as appropriate.
0: Yeah, that, that makes a big difference. So you mentioned something earlier that's going to take us into our fifth metric, but you said, you know, sometimes turnover is inevitable. Sometimes we make mistakes as our hiring or onboarding process can be, what do you have to say about performance management for managers? You know, it's been called out in our chat that direct relationship to the manager is so critical. You know, why is it so important to look at the turnover rate for each manager in your organization? If you track it that way, how can you help that manager be more effective? And what have you seen work for performance management for managers in your organization?
1: Yeah. So for us, we we have been also doing the performance management through Bamboo for the last couple of years, and it has met with some some great success. Uh, I think previous, it was trying to do it in more of a manual capacity, um, tended to be very laborious. And so because of that, maybe it just wasn't done very well in certain groups or done at all in certain groups as well. And so through this process, it's allowed us to do some more coaching for some of our managers. Um, some individuals, maybe they've never been in a management role. This is their first, uh, their first opportunity to manage a team. And it's how do we provide some of those coaching sessions? And we try to make sure that people understand the performance review is not meant to be you're fired. Uh, or you're doing a fantastic job but I never told you that before the performance review should really be that that formalized component where You've been constantly kind of resetting those expectations or ensuring that those expectations are being met throughout their employment, not just within that that performance review. But the performance review allows you to actually formalize it, walk through some of the expectations, things that they can improve on, maybe in order to uh, get into the next wage band or be able to promote into a different position. And so for our managers and being able to track how they're doing from a turnover standpoint is key because then what we can do is we can go to individuals and and talk through like, hey, I know sometimes things just fall the wrong way and it may not necessarily be your fault, or maybe there's ways in which you can improve your management style. Um, Or in some ways it's also, we recognize that there are certain personalities that work well with other personalities. And so it may be also moving individuals into different teams where they're their work style matches better with their manager styles. So we have some uh, some leads that are more of a laissez-faire, kind of go get it done, talk to me when you need something. We have other individuals that would like to have more of a, a hands-on approach and be very much uh, involved with their technicians. And so it's trying to match those individuals as well. So kind of twofold in that regard, a coaching opportunity, but also an opportunity for us to make sure that we have the right personalities and the right teams.
0: And how do you, this is one of the questions that came up in the chat earlier, but as people are so busy, how do you make sure you prioritize performance management? Because I love what you said. I want to performance manage my top team members as much as those that need coaching, because I want them to keep performing and I want to, I want to improve the overall performance of the team. Um, do you ever get pushback of like, we don't have time for this. We've got so much work to do. And how do you, how do you manage that with the check-ins on morale and performance and all the pieces?
1: Right. All the time. I would be kind of disappointed if I didn't get pushed back because it'd be like, hmm, what are you actually doing then if you're okay with doing this? I think really what it is, is it's trying to provide them the understanding of what the value that this performance management is bringing to themselves as well as bringing to their team. Um, We do typically work on very tight deadlines from contracts and we have to deliver on a particular day. Um, And so things do get pushed um, to the back burner in order to, what would you rather me do? You want me to performance manage, or do you want me to get this vehicle actually out into the customer's hands so that we can get paid? That's, That's hard to argue with. I'm not going to argue with that. And finance would be very upset with me if I did. But it's, it's helping them understand that along the way, you can, you can do some different things to performance manage individuals and that may be just pulling somebody aside and talking to them very quickly about maybe a a process that they didn't follow and why that process needs to be followed because it has ramifications on the end product or uh, pulling them aside and saying hey great job thank you for collaborating with this individual so i think it's it's really building that into the culture and making sure that they understand the importance of it and the importance of it being done on a regular basis rather than that once a year, I'm gonna give you a performance review. It it needs to be it needs to be built in on a consistent basis.
0: Yeah, I, I think performance management is best in the moment. Like I was just on our monthly town company update last month and I delivered, yes, annual reviews do stink. And um, so I was delivering to <laughs> the company and I was in a different room than our CEO was. And after I got done, he came in and he's like, I'm gonna ask you that question again. And I was like, tell me why. It's like, it was too scripted. Like, I need to feel your heart. Like, I need to feel you connecting with the people through the screen. I want you to do it again. And like, to me, that was like the greatest performance management because it's on Mm -hmm. the people in the moment. I have it. You need to upgrade it, right? And it helps me know what what matters to him about my delivery in these different cases. And so I don't need it to be you know, six months from now in our annual review. Remember that one company update yes. you read from the script instead of like just looking into the camera, it helped me so much and I was able to change it in the middle of the game, which was so valuable.
1: right. well, and and kudos to that manager who remembers what happened six months ago so that they can actually put it in the performance review. I can't remember what I had lunch for lunch last week. So I also feel like the formalized performance review, unless you've been taking notes, and we try to use, I encourage our employees and our managers to use the notes in a judicious fashion, put in more, the good, the bad, and the ugly out the year so that you have reference points you can go back to. And that performance review can be an effective one year performance review rather than the last two weeks that you remember. Um, and I think that's a lot more helpful uh, for both the employee as well as the manager. And if they are being good about entering those notes in, the hope is that they've also engaged with the employee about those notes. Um, so I feel like that's that is very much a key for a good performance review at the end. But as you said, having that on or in the moment performance is is huge.
0: Yeah, it's great. And that's a great segue into just our open Q&A. And so, you know, as we go through open Q&A, we've talked about, you know, surveying new hires around their satisfaction. We've talked about the TTP, track time to productivity, our overall pulse on morale, measuring turnover, and performance management. Clay and I are here to answer any hard question that you have. We've got our first one in here from Crystal. Are there references or stats that you can provide that demonstrate the metrics and value of successful onboarding to integrate, invest, and keep employee training versus the revolving door of losing and rehiring mm-hmm. staff so I think Crystal, you're answering your question there and I'd love to hear Clay's perspective on this
1: oh as far as a data point, I wouldn't say I have a, a data point that I look at right now I, I love to have one. I know I've read a number of different statistics talking about how much it costs to onboard a new employee versus just retaining and and continuing to coach and bring someone. I, I wouldn't be able to say exactly what it is. A lot of it honestly is gut. the understanding that it makes more sense to be able to coach and help that individual along and, and help them from an onboarding standpoint versus cutting them loose and just bringing on the next person and trying to do the same thing and just hoping that it sticks so i i wish i had a number i don't but i i know it's high and it's something i want to avoid
0: (laughs) yeah i mean i think for me the 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 answer in there clay is is the cost of turnover right like there's um the cost of turnover is high depending on the role i've seen it from three to x to five casts 5X, the burden, labor, cost of the role. And you think all the time you spend advertising for the job, Mm -hmm. hiring for the job, then onboarding for the job. And we know that if people stay, they can get more successful from time in seat. So to me, Crystal, that would be your biggest piece is turnover. And I just ask organizations, are you okay spending the money with the turn and burn? Or do you want people to grow and progress here? Because there's other... Know down the line challenges with with having high turnover too, but maybe the corp- corporation is okay with it, right, Clay? And maybe that's just how they want to run it.
1: Yeah, and there are different organizations that, like you said, they have different approaches to what they're doing. in In our case, in particular, because it takes so long to get to a point of of productivity. It it makes more sense for us to spend that additional time in order to bring the person along from a training standpoint versus if we were, say, more of a station manufacturing type of group where the work was very standardized and you could bring someone in, train them within the, the first day. And, and they're productive right away. Um, and so there are different approaches and and sometimes just simply from a cost perspective, um, that may look a little bit different or it may look a little different in different areas of the organization as well. Um, we may end up in a position where we have more of a standardized process in some, some elements of our business. And with that kind of station mentality, I never wanna boil somebody down to just the cog uh, in the wheel Um, but you also have to look at it from a business perspective as well to ensure that it's meeting the business requirements, but also hopefully meeting that employee requirements as well.
0: Yeah, I think your highlight there, Clay, of the time to productivity is so key per role. And if you can um, capture that value proposition and you're turning people out before they even get to productivity, you're just burning dollars. I mean, to me, that's like, I always say when I go to Disneyland, it's like shoveling $20 bills into the garbage can. It <laughs> loses like the lollipop and all the things. Yep. But a turnover that happens before they're productive is the same thing. And you're just shoveling dollar bills away. that could be going into the product, into the equipment, into the training, into the customer. You know, there's so many other ways to spend those dollars. Is that the place you want it to go?
1: Right. Well, and really you look at it, it's not only till they get to productivity, but beyond in order to cover the cost of the onboarding side. So it's almost double in that regard in order to actually recoup what you're training and what you're giving them from an expertise standpoint is. So it could be extended much, much further out than that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Well, anything, Clay, that you want to share with this amazing group of HR heroes before we close out for the day? It's been such a pleasure getting to know you and Nomad. Just thank you for all your wisdom and actionable pieces. We're super grateful.
1: Well, thank you. No, this has been a great session. And I think there's lots of challenges in the world right now from an HR perspective, both from recruiting, but also How do you how do you find those retention methodologies that work for your particular business and that's, it's kind of the exciting part about the role as well.
0: Yeah, it is exciting. It is super exciting. Uh, There's one great question we got to answer though right here from Mr. Henry Hall. What is the break even point on a new hire. Um, And this depends but clay I'd love to hear your thoughts.
1: I'm, I think that that answers it right there. It depends. Um, so we do have some individuals that we'll bring on from an engineering standpoint. That because of the work that they've done in the past, their break-even point is much much faster because they're able to contribute in that value proposition much much quicker. So that I feel like is very much dependent on the skills that they bring that actually have that can be translated immediately into the work that you're doing. Um, So in some cases, um, if you're uh, a nurse moving into another nursing position, that may be a very fast transition. It's just learning a new system or it's something of that nature. But nursing has that that similarity between if you're nursing in California or you're nursing in Montana or elsewhere, there's going to be a very quick probably translation. Um, But there might be other positions where you're, you're completely new in that role. And that may take much longer.
0: Yeah, it would take a lot longer for sure. And then what, another question that came up, I just put one in here for Jared. What would be some of the, we didn't talk about this, Clay, so I'm putting you on the spot. Do you do stay interviews and what are some of the top questions you ask to get to know if somebody's willing to stay?
1: Yeah. So the stay interviews, I wouldn't say are in a formalized role. A lot of times it's really just my department leads meeting or my department managers meeting with the leads in order to ensure, hey, how are you doing? Um, so adding some more formalized questionnaire around that would probably be beneficial. We have found that our our roundtables are a great opportunity to be able to pull some of that information out, but that is done in a, in a larger group setting. So you may not necessarily have the same level of um, exposure or transparency that you would get if it was in a one-on-one. So those, those stay interviews, yeah, they, they can definitely be more formalized for us.
0: The one question that I like that just kind of opens it up and can take you down a, a number of different paths is, you know, we all get called by recruiters all the time. What does that recruiter have to say to you on that phone message or LinkedIn message that has you pick up your head and say, I'm going to answer it? Like, what is that moment that you decide you're going to take that call? And what was it that you were missing in that moment that made you look away from the job right here in front of you? And then Mm. what they share with you, it kind of just leads you into a number of other questions that could be an interesting, um, I always like, they're just curious, seeking missions for me if I'm super curious about it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any, do you have an intern co-op there at Nomad Clay? How did co-op students or interns fall into these dynamics, maybe when the terms are only 16 weeks long?
1: Yeah. Funny thing about intern is I feel like it's it's a misnomer. It, the verbiage gets thrown around a lot, whereas in fact, it's, you want a summer job? Okay, I'll hire you for a summer job. From an internship standpoint, that is attachment to a higher education facility that I need to then provide uh, from a management standpoint, input back to that that uh, that institution in order for them to gain credit or something of that nature. So I, I avoid internship. Um, but what I do is we work with a lot of the high schools, um, both from an externship standpoint here in Montana. We have uh, the ability for students to take their core classes from, say, like an 8 a.m. until 10 a.m. And then after 10 a.m., they are free to work. Um, but it has to be approved in this externship sort of fashion. So instead of, uh, taking Spanish or French or home ec or something that maybe they're not interested in, uh, they're able to come here and they're able to weld. And so we find flexible ways in order to be able to work with that as much as possible. And then when the, the summertime comes around, that's when we normally see some of those internships or the summer jobs for engineers coming available. And so my engineering team, we have just different projects that may be sitting on the back burner that if we can get to them, great. If not come summertime, we'll turn a few of those summer interns uh, loose on those. So it's very much kind of department by department, case by case basis in that regard.
0: Oh, that's so good, Clay. There's so many things I'm taking away from our time together. One of the big impactful things though, Clay, that you've left me with was that whether it's an intern, a direct or indirect team member, the components of the onboarding around mission, vision, and values is the same. And then the customization comes to the role and that I want to over-invest and understand that time to productivity around how I'm going to build their onboarding and that it's my job in onboarding to get them to productivity as fast as possible with them feeling like they've succeeded in the role. And that I want to really leverage my data and my surveys and my in-person and my anonymous feedback to get there. So thank you for all those actionable tips you've given all of us today and our whole community.
1: Thank you. It was great.
0: Well, unfortunately, it's time for us to close up. We'll be back at the same time Um, here coming up here for our next episode 18. We'll register, uh, send a registration link out in the chat right now. And again, please view this on demand. Go back get all of the nuggets out of it that you learned from Clay and start putting them into action. You know, continue to view us online at any one of these different um, listening podcast systems on Apple, on Spotify, and really join us in our Bamboo HR community, HR Heroes, where you can ask all these questions and get the whole community behind your answers. That's the big thing. We want you to ask the hard questions and get a whole team of community HR leaders behind you and answering your questions. So please stay with us answer the short survey so we can continue to build content for you. And Clay, thank you again for being with us. We're super grateful for all your knowledge and everything you and Nomad are doing. Thank you for being a Bamboo customer and have a super day.
1: Thank you very much. You guys have a good day too. Thanks for joining us for HR
0: Unplugged. This series is brought to you by Bamboo HR. Visit us at bamboohr.com HR unplugged for video versions of the podcast, additional resources, and to learn more about how Bambi HR sets people free to do great work.